Prepare to be astonished. It's that time again. Let's get started. From the Clatsop County Historical Society, an adventure in history with Matt Burns and Alana Quila. You should never be allowed to talk to people. Some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. And now, with today's adventure, it's Mac and Alana. Good evening, and welcome back to An Adventure in History. We're excited to have you tonight, and we're going to have a very enlightening conversation tonight, because it's, you know, it's about good light. It's good to have good light. I think we're just going to be crazy entertaining. We are. So, so I'm mentioning light because we have a photographer here who does always find the right light. But you're more than just a photographer. Oh yeah, a lot of things. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of okay at everything. I'm not really good at anything, right? So <laughs> no, my, no, that is not true at all. Uh, my name's Justin Grafton. I am. I'm a local photographer here in Astoria, Oregon. So. Justin Grafton Studios. He and I do go back though to when he worked for ODOT. Oh my goodness. Yes, wow. that's our relationship. Okay, we're gonna ODOT. Have, we're gonna have to explore that. Yeah. But see, I would, I would, <laughs> I would dare say now. I know some of the other things that you do, but. Not you're you're good at or just okay at. You're you're a really great photographer. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. So thank you. Um, shall we yeah. get right to it? Let's get right happen. to it, so we can so, give him some more plugs. So a <laughs> yeah. brand new rebrought Ooh, back yes. segment. Our historic word of the day. Alana's historic word of the day. And this one I love. I think we might even bring it back like repeatedly. Well, that's what we're trying to do here. Because it's fabulosity. <gasps> That's the word? It is. Okay. Fabulosity. Right. What do you I, think it means? I think that is the level of fabulousness for something. It is. Like the ultimate level. Sort of. Close. It's an exaggerated statement or story that's completely made up. <gasps> oh, Isn't I like that, that even better. Yeah. That could, that could be the name of the show. Fabulosity. <laughs> I think we're the opposite of that. I was going to say, I don't think you guys word. make anything up. Like, right? <laughs> so wrong use of the word. Whenever I give a guided tour of the Flavel House, which really hasn't since COVID been all that often, but I always say, and feel free to ask me any questions. I'll do my best to answer. If I don't know the answer, I'm just going to make something up that sounds really good and you're not going to know the difference. So Does anybody ever, do they, do they catch you say that? I mean. Oh, I say that all the okay. time. I just flat out say it. And then they kind of laugh. And they're like, okay, yeah, how would we know? Okay, that's true. So, yeah, nobody ever vets you. Like you, you're the keeper of all the all the things, right? So little they have to come to you to find out anyway. Little known yeah. fact: Captain Flo was seven foot three inches tall. How would anybody like argue with me except for John Goodenberger? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> They'd say oh, I wouldn't. Oh, interesting. I didn't realize. So. <laughs> Google does exist, though, Max. So that's be true. careful. I, I love that word. Say it again. Fabulosity. Fabulosity. An exaggerated statement or story that's completely made up. I think that one could catch on again. I know. I like that one. I'm going right. to start using it, period. Okay. <laughs> it's happening. So uh, let's get to the big history highlights. These are yes. things that happen tomorrow. These are, of course, icebreakers, conversation starters, uh, possibly winning a bar trivia, in which case you <laughs> owe us uh, a little uh, take of that. So July 24th, 1487. Ooh, wow. I know. We haven't gone back that far. And, and of course, as always, I, I love American history more than anything but. else, but this one just caught my eye. 1487, citizens of Lewarden, Netherlands, Rebel against a ban on foreign beer. <laughs> wow. And it was documented. Documented. We, we don't want this local beer. We want, <laughs> we want that foreign beer brought in. I want to know what beer they wanted in. Yeah. That, Where was it coming from? Uh, that's kind of amazing. Oh, yeah. so they wanted new beer. They, <laughs> they, didn't. Wanted, they were sick of drinking yeah, a local beer. Okay. Were, it's a rebel against the ban on foreign oh, beer. Oh, the ban. Right, right. So in this town in Netherlands, you couldn't okay. get anything but local beer. So I'm kind of curious. Like, yeah. What was how sad? What was 
and, and the local beer mu- makers must have like had some kind of felt stranglehold on awful, the government. Right. Well, well it also felt bad. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> got to drink us. it. All right. So where that one was fun, this one is, is not. 1799, William Clark is willed the slave York. Mm. You know, I got a real problem. Besides just with slavery. Yeah. I got a real problem okay. Okay. that this guy saves your bacon repeatedly on your whole trek out here. And you don't even free him when he gets back, when you get back. And he asked. Mm. He's like, hey, have I earned? Maybe you can let me go. And no. Yeah. How horrible. Yep. All right. Uh, 1866, Tennessee becomes the first Confederate state readmitted to the Union. Ooh, welcome back to the party. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if I should feed you that line or if yeah. you would just jump on it, but that That's was my good. line too. Welcome back. All right. Uh, 1969, because you know I love the space stuff, Apollo 11 mm. safely returns to Earth. That's good. All right. And then uh, our history highlight of the day. I don't have a lot today. So the history highlight of the day, 1847. Religious pioneers mm. settle Salt Lake Valley. Uh, after 17 months and many tr- miles of travel, Brigham Young leads 148 pioneers into Utah's Valley of the Great Salt Lake, and Young declares, this is the place. I do love that line. It is. This it, is the place. It, it, so Brigham Young, so huge. So I looked up this one, too, because, it, it, I mean, where we are, right, we're in the West, and they, mm-hmm. they had a lot to do with settling the West, so that that happened. Um, so when they did settle in their provisional state of Deseret, is what it was called, and he became the governor... Um, and then the next year, this area was that became the territory of Utah, again with him as the governor, now of a territory. He was appointed a second term, term in 1854, but friction started then between the Mormons and the federal government, right? Mm-hmm. Because all of a sudden, we're learning a little bit more about what's happening. Um, there's a, a huge stakeholder and a huge following, too, right, mm-hmm. of people that that went out and settled there. U.S. President at the time, James Buchanan, decided to replace him. And did. Um, and he set an army to establish the primary federal rule in Utah. So Young never again held political office, but he still stayed in power. And what I think is ironic is that they named a university after him. Oh, yeah. I mean, so it has to be where BYU came from. I mean, right. Name so is. still yeah. renowned, yet rejected. Um, well, rejected so. by the federal government. Correct. Yes, yes. <laughs> so yeah. The, the, Church of Latter-day Saints Mormons are still, I mean, he's the guy, he's the leader. Yes. So they're, of course they're going to follow him regardless of whether he's the governor. Well, he wasn't rejected by women, because I will just add this too. He had 20 wives and fathered 47 <laughs> children. So he did not have a lot of time on his hands. I don't know how you'd have time. I can barely take care of the one I got at home, right? There you go. Exactly. <laughs> can imagine having 20. One, one, one wife and a fi- one family is enough. <laughs> it's plenty. It's yeah, got to be I've plenty. Never, I've never quite understood that either. I know. That, I mean, that 1800s. So. To each your own. Yep. Whatever. <laughs> So that's the history out of the day, because yeah. obviously a huge religion. That was an interesting one. Yep. Well, now I want to do more research and figure out like where Mormon Row came from. Like when you go to Wyoming, like it's just a few, little bit further west, it's, right? So, right. Or like yeah, yeah, a little bit up north and it's west. It's all fairly well documented. I mean, and I don't think they, they can, didn't come through Wyoming, but they keep getting kicked out of places, so they keep coming west, and that's why they end up in Utah because hmm. they figure, oh, this is out in the middle of nowhere. Federal government, everybody will leave us alone. But then it was brought in, yeah, yeah. of course. The city's so. gorgeous, by the way. I don't know if you've been there, but it's gorgeous. Yep. I mean, it's pretty. Isn't that where the first Wendy's is? Oh. <laughs> I think it is. Yeah. I don't know why I know that. I think I saw a sign driving through it. Like, <laughs> I, I original wish that was. Yeah. Or something. But Dave Thomas was not Mormon. No. Yeah. 
So we went right. to church with him in Florida. Very, oh wow! Just sidebar fact there. Yeah. Look at us just connecting the all these front row of the of, of a mega church. Went to a mega church. So. Amazing. But you did not sit in the front row. He I did, did not. Yes. No. We established that once before. <laughs> yeah. You had to but give it, back more than ten percent. Yeah. But it's funny because before we went on the air, I said. You know everybody, and you said you don't. And I said, but we could play like Six Degrees of You instead yeah. of Kevin Bacon. We could, and here we are. And we kind of just started we're, that. We're back right, right to Wendy's. Yeah. So, so let's start there. So why are you here in Astoria? Um, I am born and raised. I was born at Columbia Memorial Hospital, so I don't know. I, there's a few people I've met over the lifetime that have, <laughs> have been had that category to fall into. But yeah, I've, I've lived here my whole life, so I've grown up here, and it's been my home. I really don't know any others. I mean, I moved out. I moved down to Corvallis for a little while just to try that out, see if I wanted to go to school. Didn't really work out in uh, how I thought it was going to. So, had kids pretty early in life. Had to move home, get a real job, and never really left again. So, here I am. So K through so, twelve in Astoria. K through twelve in Astoria. Yeah. So what was what was your neighborhood growing up? I lived on. So I li- we we moved around a little bit. I I was my first home was on Hamburg down uh, behind the gas station there, shortstop. I remember when they put that. Uh, the CFN station, they had a big sand pile there. And I remember playing in that when I was like three years old with another friend that was from here. I mean, I'm going to drop a name, Nathan Loma. He's a contractor in town. Him and Heather, Heather are married, and I went to school with Heather. So, but yeah, we've been playing together since we were three years old, which is crazy. <laughs> so, And uh, what were like some of the things, because I didn't grow up here, so I don't know like where... Where did you ride your bike off to, or where if you didn't want your everywhere staring once, at you? Once you got your bike, out? I mean, the sky was the limit around here. We rode our bikes everywhere. I w- we would ride our bike. I would ride my BMX bike clear to seaside sometimes as I got older, <gasps> just wow. to go play in the arcades on the weekends. Like the traffic wasn't like it is now for sure, mm-hmm. but it was still frightening to ride across the young, you know, the new Young's Bay Bridge for mm-hmm. sure. Well, sure. the Goonies did it; they rode their bikes <laughs> right <laughs> here to Seaside. It was only like Cannon Beach. It was it only like Beach. ten minutes. Fun fact: My aunt was in the Goonies. She's one of the cheerleaders, you know, doing oh, the fun. doing the warm up drill or whatever the, yeah. during the police chase. She's only she's only in it during the police chase for like three seconds, not even that, maybe two and a half seconds, just a quick close up of her face we'll, and then we'll, cuts we'll to the star her for a, for a, one of the reunions. Oh, yeah. she, she, she can she, do a, a panel discussion. She was would love that she's in Salem now but yeah yeah so what were some of your favorite classes or teachers because again I've talked to a lot of the reunions and there's always favorite teachers that had a real impact on people's lives you know I had a I had a lot of favorite teachers I don't know that I could necessarily pick one you know different stages in your life different people come into it and they come and go and um, I think that you know as you grow up especially in a small town you you tend to lean towards people that or more helpful at the time in that in your life, you know. So, I don't know. I can remember my kindergarten teacher. Her name was Mrs. Walker. She was she was amazing. Um, then I had Mrs. German in, in first grade. She was pretty awesome too. Uh, but I I would say one that sticks out the most. I had her two years in a row, not because I got held back, but <laughs> she um, she moved to Astoria and was a third grade teacher at Captain Robert Gray. And then she got married over the summer, so her last name changed. So it looks on paper like I have a different teacher for third and fourth grade, but it was it was the same one. And that was she was Miss Sabota when she. She first moved here, and then she got married to Mr. Lilly, and so she became Mrs. Lilly my fourth grade year. So, And she even was the teacher to my children when they got into school, too. Oh, so it was that. it was pretty amazing to to have that full circle and, and be able to, you know, 
see my kids have the same teachers that I did in some cases, and, and you know, ones that, that made an impact on my life. So, yeah. So, she, what grade did she teach when your girls were in school? Uh, she was, I think, fifth grade for Kyra, maybe. And I don't know that Aurora ever had her, but she was in the same class and knew who she was. Oh. So, that was, I think, sixth grade when, when Aurora met her. But yeah, it was, um, she was a great teacher. Yeah, she's still around. So. Is she still teaching? Uh, she's not. I think she just retired oh, here a couple of years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had teachers that my parents had when I went to high school. So yeah. we had a couple of uh, the same ones. Like, I, I think Soderberg was one. He, he was Mike, a good teacher. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, I'm just throwing names out now at this point. But, yeah, we we had, you know, a lot of cohesiveness through the years. And, and when you live in a small town like this, once somebody knows who your family is, you kind of know who the rest are. So, yeah. So that's the part of not growing up here that I just – I, I understand when you say that, but I can't picture what that really feels. Oh, we like. hated it as kids because like, oh, you felt like you couldn't. You, well, you couldn't get. You'd hear stories, and then they'd kind of judge you based on those, whether they were good or bad, right? Yeah. And then um, you couldn't really get away with as much as maybe you thought you could because everybody knew who you were. Um, not that we were up to nefarious activities all the time, but you know, <laughs> when you're riding your bike all around town and not really, ha- you know, you didn't have as the control that you have on children nowadays was not there when I was, you know, that age. We we kind of had free reign. That's true. Wow. Yeah. So what else did you do in your free time? Did you did you go fishing? Did you go to the beach? I mean, were those? <laughs> I mean, I there was a point in my life where I mean, I was baiting crab pots when I was 12 years old. You know, we were, I'd spend a couple weeks on the ocean with. Um, you know, the painters and the, on the western skies is an old wood boat, and we would go out and, you know, that was how we'd make our money to go water skiing for the summer with that family. So oh. we'd get to go play for a couple months after the season. But, yeah, yeah, that was um, that was just part of life back then. I think you didn't really get paid. You just got to go do fun things with people after you did work. So that was <laughs> right. kind of how it worked. But well, it works out. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when you're in middle school and high school, what did you think you were going to do with your life? You know, I never knew. I, I didn't. And I didn't necessarily think about it too hard. I just, I, my life has always been, I just kind of go with the flow. I, every time I try to swim upstream or against the, against the wake, it really, it doesn't go very well. So <laughs> I just kind of take what life gives me. I know that sounds maybe a little bit cliche, but it sure is easier when you do that. I, I'm, I feel like as I get older, I'm good at manifesting things. So if I think about something that I want to do, if I kind of start taking the steps to move in that direction, it does start to happen. So, um, I've had I've had a few different careers in my life. I started off uh, getting a getting a job in excavating. I was a pipe layer, so I didn't run heavy equipment for a few years. I stayed in the in the ditch and in the trenches, you know, learning to use a shovel and work hard. And that made me a better equipment operator when I got the opportunity to run heavy equipment because I knew what it took, you know, to make that guy's job easier. And um, grew up through that. You know, I was in construction 20 years. I was running, you know, I helped build the N and the O loop at Fort Stevens, you know, mm. and put the pump station out, wow. out there. And I don't know if you've ever tried to dig in the sand 33 feet deep oh. next to the ocean, but it's very difficult. So <laughs> you learn how to deal with water when you live here, that's for sure. You know, there's no lack of that. Mm. Um, and that carried over. I built, I built a lot of things. A lot of it's underground, though. So, you know, you don't, I can drive by and tell you where it is, but you don't get to see it. So yeah. that's a bummer, but... You know, but if it's staying underground, that means you put it in right. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had to that's dig true. It up and redo right. it. I used to hang my hat on that I've never had a leak in a water line, you know, so that was pretty interesting. All the <laughs> industrial pipe we put in for um, out in Warrington, where now Costco and Walmart and all that is, we, we ran the sewer and the water for that years ago. That was about 18 years ago with Larson. So, oh my um, gosh. They're using it, so that's and good. So much more water now. <laughs> so much more. Yeah, that was an 18 inch water line. That yeah. was a big one. Yeah. So um, I remember, I recall, when you started to make your transition into photography, um, and you kind of just jumped, like, 
just like you just said, you jumped head in for, you know, or feet first. You just went right to it. What? But well, I mean, it, it wasn't that simple, I guess. I mean, oh. I, I definitely, you know, I, I raised my daughters by myself since they were five and three. I had help with my parents, you know, and, and a few others along the way. But for the most part, I was a single father pretty early in life. And I remember I was just driving home from Tillamook one day from a project and I thought, I don't have any really good photographs of my children, and they were in middle school. And so I Costco was just built out there, and I swung in, and they had a Nikon D90 with a kit lens. And I remember just thinking it was kind of a tough decision at the time, but I didn't, like I said, I didn't think that far ahead. I just blew a whole paycheck on it and said, it's good enough, you know. And I got home, and I remember opening it up and charging the battery, and I couldn't hardly even figure out how to turn it on. You know, they were like computers now. So I didn't do the whole film stuff. I didn't start, and, mm-hmm. you know, I did I didn't have time as a kid to mess with that or, you know, I just had other things going on. But I, it, I definitely, I fell in love with photography instantly once I realized um, how to turn the camera on and take a photo. But <laughs> my photos were not good to start with. And I think, I think a lot of people's aren't when you first do that, you, especially in, when you jump into it later in life and not even know how to, you know, deal with it. But so I charged it up, I took a few bad pictures, kind of put it on the shelf for a couple of weeks. And then I thought, I got to get back to this thing. And I really want to know everything all at once. That's kind of been my MO. I want all the information I can get as fast as I can. And photography doesn't work like that. I had to slow myself down and try not to boil the ocean. You know, I had to learn one thing at a time. And I'm still doing that. You know, it's been 12 years since that day. And I'm still learning new stuff every day with it. I think I think if we think we know everything, we're already in trouble. So I love that because I was expecting. That's why I was kind of fishing around. I assumed, oh, I was messing around with the camera when I was 12, 13, 14. No. I'm, I'm blown away and amazed. It, yeah, it wasn't until way later. I mean, I was definitely in my mid, well, almost 30 when I started really kind of getting into that. Well, I'm 46 And at year. what point do you make the transaction transition that you say, okay, I'm done with construction. I'm a photographer. You know that were you just doing I didn't side know if it was ever going to happen. I just I started taking photographs of my kids when they were playing sports. You know, they were both on tournament softball teams. My daughter got on the national volleyball team as she got into high school. I started I didn't really make money with my camera out of the gate. I didn't have a lot of confidence in my photographs, but they were good enough for me at the time and I think that was what was important to keep me doing it. I remember um I don't know if this is an appropriate story, but I was at a Blazer game and I used to take my camera with me and I could not figure out how to get a super sharp image inside a gymnasium. And so, and I was trying to take really sharp images of Portland Trailblazers at the time from my seats. Mm-hmm. I had a pretty long lens and it wasn't that great of a lens. It, it wasn't picking up light very well. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a fast lens. And I didn't know what a fast lens was or meant, but I was in the urinal at the break. <laughs> <laughs> and I know this is, it's, it's not bad, but you're not really supposed to talk to the gentleman standing next to you when you're you know, in a urinal. It's just kind of one of those rules you don't <laughs> talk about. But it's good to know. The guy standing next to me was one of the floor photographers, and he had, all his, he had four cameras draping off of him all, on all sides of him, you know, and doing his business or whatever, and I just couldn't help myself. I said, nice I, camera I, you yeah, got there. I, I said, how, um, how do you take sharp images when the gym isn't very bright? And he goes, excuse me? And I said, um, I just, I don't know how to take pictures and make them sharp when the lighting isn't good. And he says, get a fast lens. And he, you know, zipped up, washed his hands and left. And I, I thought, huh, I don't even know what that meant. So, you know, that was one of those things I had to go home and figure out what he meant by that. And it's little things like that. Like when you get these little nudges from people and these little, these little nuggets that, that are aha moments that help, helped me along the way. Well, that changed how I started taking photographs in inside gymnasiums. And my kids played a lot of basketball at the time. Outdoor images were simple, you know, because you got lots of light. But when you don't have a lot of light, you 
you have to figure out how to how to make your own sometimes, and that's what got me into flash photography too. On top of that, um, so it just like I said, it's one thing after another. It never quits. Photography is an amazing thing because when you I always want to take a better picture than I took today. So I feel like I'm going to take a better picture tomorrow than I did today. And I know that I will because I can go home and learn from my mistakes and then fix those the next time. Um, I call them mistakes. I don't think people even necessarily notice them. But I, I'm not always super happy with what I get. I, there was a weird thing when I first started taking pictures of weddings. I, I'd be done editing a wedding in a, f in a few days after a wedding, but I would hold on to them for a couple months because I was scared about what the bride and groom were going to say when I give them to them. So there's a there's a little <laughs> trinket. Fear. Too. See, in terms of like being a hired photographer for a wedding, that would just scare the heck out of me unless I had like three different people on my team taking because I'd be like, what if my camera suddenly died, or what if what if my I didn't realize it, but I was getting everything blurry that day, and then it's ruined, and it's or that it's person's, blue or it's that person's wedding, and they would never forgive you. So yeah, how do it you happens. Deal with that? You know, it happens. You gotta you gotta hope you don't make those mistakes. You do, you don't you don't charge um, you don't you charge appropriately for what your you know what your skill skill level is. I think and. And people kind of know that. If they don't know that, they you know they didn't do their research either. That's kind of on them. So, so I, at what point were you working at ODOT? Because this is the part I remember. And then you quit. Not again. Help me with the timeline. And you went and took a class overseas to learn how to become a better photographer. And you leave this job that has benefits and pays well. <laughs> and you're, you're moving your way up in management. And you you take a, a, an abrupt life change. Well, so it started, I mean, I was at Big River Excavating. They're still around today, you know, and I, I was pretty high up in there. And I'd, I'd, we'd done a, I was building sewer treatment plants when I left that to go work for the, the state. And I, I needed a break. I kind of was burned out. Construction had burned me out at that point. We, we got in a big lawsuit with the city of Tillamook, and it just, that job didn't go very well. And it was pretty, pretty difficult to deal with. They actually won that lawsuit finally last year. So oh, my gosh. That, that was from 07. So. But anyway, so I went to ODOT. I, I, applied on, I applied for ODOT at lunch at work one day. I saw the job for transportation maintenance manager. I didn't really know what that entailed, but I thought, oh, that looks like it pays good enough. I could go do something like that. You know, the state would be easy to work for. So that was my mindset then. Again, path of least resistance, it just worked out. I ended up getting an interview, went back for a second interview, and and got hired and was like, oh no, I have to I have to quit Big River. I don't even know if that I don't know how to do that. I don't even know how to go about that because that, these guys I'd worked with in construction from day one almost, you know. So it was hard. It was hard to leave that and go there at first. But once I got there, it was it was an interesting job. Um, transportation maintenance manager. I had never been part of a union. I wasn't part of the union per se, but the crew that I was managing was union. And then I had bosses above me. So you want to talk about being the middleman. That was the epitome of it. Uh, managing a crew that you didn't necessarily have <laughs> a lot of control over because they're union represented and you weren't. So, But then you're getting yelled at by people that weren't union represented to make them do stuff that they didn't really always want to do. So it was an inter interesting, um, inter interesting time in my life. I learned a lot from that. But I learned how to – what I was good at construction was reading specs and reading drawings. And then having conversations with engineers that were real because I understood the spec book. And, and once you, once you, some of those spec books are three inches thick. They weren't fun to read, but you needed to know them, you know. So, and I got good at reading the, reading the union uh, contract book. So I was able to communicate with people that way. I'm going to put in a little plug because Justin, and you probably don't remember this, but we redid the route for Great Columbia Crossing together. Yeah. And we uh, were able to get the race um, certified 
so it was accurate for the first time in Forever. however many this years. I think I don't know if it was 20 years at that time or something. Um, but it took a lot of work, and we had to work with ODOT because, of course, you know, I couldn't go on the bridge, and we had to have his crew do it. Um, but we were able to do that, and then we also made it a lot safer by closing one lane in the bridge for a lot longer period of time. Now they do two lanes, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. You can yeah. imagine. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember if you were there, um, but we also had to make some changes after the Boston bombing. And so, yes, he's nodding. So that, too, took a lot of um, strategic planning. And, and yeah, we had a lot of ODOC. meetings. Yes. That wasn't easy when you're, you know, you've been in traffic jams before in your car. Yes. You don't care for that. So you don't, you don't necessarily, <laughs> you don't want to deal with angry, angry drivers. You don't want to make them upset, yes. right? But we're going, but I want to go back to the, so it, you're at ODOT, and then you're, you're getting ready to make this life career change again. Well, you're skipping a step. I actually, I left ODOT after the second winter and went back to Big River. Oh, I didn't remember for that. For like, it wasn't very long. It was only like eight months. But at that time at ODOT, I had started taking, I was taking a lot of photographs and, and doing family sessions and senior portraits and, and weddings. And I was starting to, you know, make real money shooting, you know, pictures with my camera. And I thought, huh, I, I'm doing pretty good with this. Like I was starting to make more money doing that than I was at ODOT. And then when I went back to Big River, it started kind of costing me money to have a job, mm. you know, I was, and that's when I was able to make the transition. When I realized that I was, I was losing money by not working more in my passion then, and, and construction wasn't my passion anymore. I had already left it once. So I was still, I just didn't know how to get out of that. And photography was that key for me. So, so do you remember, and maybe you don't, the first paid photography gig you I had? I do. Uh-huh. I do. It was, um, it was, it was crazy. It was an actual random couple, and uh, she was she was it was a maternity shoot. Never had met these people. They were from out of town. I think I just got my. I, it must have been Facebook. I think it was. I got the job through Facebook. I'd started a Facebook page, and they had messaged me, and I thought, huh. It was before Facebook had ads, and you know, did all that stuff. Like when you, when you'd post something on Facebook back in the day, thousands of people saw that if you opened it up. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, obviously, they've put you know, put the kibosh to that. But yeah, it definitely, I was, I was so nervous and I did not, I look at those pictures. I still have them today and I look at them and I think, huh, I don't think I, I didn't crush that job. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't do as good as I thought I did at the time. But so. they don't live here. They so. don't live here. Yeah. So <laughs> okay. so what do we get? Okay. Yeah. And, um, but they were happy with them. I, you know, I didn't get any negative feedback, so mm. I probably should have, you know, mm. but they, they accepted what, you know, and I think I charged $125 for it or something and gave them all the individual div- digitals, you know, <laughs> I definitely did color black and white and sepia. I gave them all three, you know, not knowing. And at then, the time were you like 125 bucks? Oh, I couldn't believe it. You know, it was, they it was, paid me to take pictures. It was amazing. Something I like doing. It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so from there, so now, um, now you've shot, uh, you do all sorts of genres. Um, what's your favorite? Um, again, it's hard to pick necessarily. Whichever one went the best, <laughs> you yeah. know, that, that week. Uh, I, I, I love shooting real estate. I, I love shooting destination weddings. Um, I now have shot weddings all over the world. Um, I've done a couple in Hawaii, done a couple in Mexico. I've been to some great cities, Chicago, New Orleans. I've done some... I've done some really fun things, and I've been very fortunate, and it's just carried carried through, and it keeps happening. I, I turned down a lot of weddings this year. We needed a break this summer, so well, we do about we have about twenty thousand clients with our school and sports right now a year, and on top of you know I I like to dabble in families and seniors too. On top of that, uh, I also teach a couple of classes throughout the United States, depending on the month. Um, we, we call it boot camp. It's a friend of mine from Atlanta, Georgia. It's actually his show, but I help him with them and. And we go around and 
Uh, we teach people how to do sports photography, volume sports specifically. And you guys have a podcast. We do. We have a. We're on YouTube. It's called The Beard and the Boat. We've we've got. <laughs> I think we have forty episodes now or something. Uh, we get about a hundred views an episode. It's not too many, but you know, it, it's it's a very niche thing. You know, there's not everybody's sure. doing that kind of genre. So we've got about 45 seconds left. I want two things. One, for you to be able to plug where people could find you. And then number two, you have family that has followed you sort of into this career a little bit, or at least they're helping you. Um, yeah, I have a daughter, Kyra. She, she definitely helps me when she can. She's working down at 7Ds right now, but um, she, she helps me. She's a great photographer. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Justin Grafton Studios or www.justingraftonstudios.com. And then on YouTube, it's The Beard and the Boat is our podcast. Great. Well, thank you so much. I love the, his photos. I have huge ones on my wall of my girls and my family. So that and was then, a fun shoot. Um, yeah. But yes, but um, ballet, tap. I mean, everything you've you've shot. Um, he's done tons of pictures, and it's all easy to find in digital too. And I hear you need the fast camera, the fast lens. Yes. Fast lens. Get Inside. a fast lens. Yes. It'll change your life. Yeah. Yes. Thanks so much <laughs> for sharing. Go make some mystery. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. Thank you for joining us for An Adventure in History. An Adventure in History is created and produced by the Clatsop County Historical Society and brought to you by KMUN.